Hi, this is Kale Clark. Welcome to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. Have you ever wondered about God's plan for your life? What in the world is he up to? What about God's plan for the world? Where is it all headed? Well, if you've ever asked those questions, this show is for you. Let's take a look at the very end of chapter 11. This is kind of the concluding word of glory, if you will, a doxology that's in St. Paul's letter before he kind of moves on to more practical matters. Not that these things aren't practical. Theology is always super, super practical. It should affect our lives, the way we think, what we do. But in light of this last section here that we've been looking at, God's plan throughout salvation history for the whole world, this is just a wonderful, wonderful statement that he has at the end of chapter 11. So let's pick it up in verse 33. We're going to just look at a few verses here. This is uh, verses 33 through 36 of chapter 11. And Paul writes this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul just kind of stands in awe here of everything that God has done. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And that's why it's kind of a doxology, this word of glory. It's almost like what's at the end of the Our Father prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. So this, this is a great conclusion to what he's been talking about. And just as at the end of the last little section, which kind of concluded with chapter 8, Paul talked about our individual lives and God's great care for us at the individual level. And he, one of the things he says there at the end of, uh, of chapter 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, absolutely nothing. He says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that was when he was talking about almost God's individual plan for us in that famous Romans chapter 8, verse 28 verse, we know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That's true at the individual level, and it's also true at the world level as well. And that's kind of what, what these last verses at the end of chapter 11 really talk about here. So there's kind of, um, there's kind of the, the first verse, um, verse 33, Paul talks about three points regarding God's plan. And then in the next couple of verses here, 34 and 35, he gives us three questions to remind to remind us as we we need constant reminders of this that God's plans are best. Can't do better than he can. So let's look at verse 33. These are the three points about God's plan. He says, "Oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out." So really the three points are God's wisdom and knowledge are rich and deep. They're rich and very, very deep. And the true riches here in life, as we know, are not money 
It's not, it's not notoriety. It's not stuff, but it's wisdom. It's knowledge, especially divine knowledge. This is what the ancients longed for. Think, think about the Queen of Sheba who, who traveled so far to partake of the wisdom of Solomon. And as Jesus said in the gospel, now someone much greater than Solomon is here. This is God incarnate, wisdom incarnate. So if we can access God's wisdom and his knowledge about the world and the way things are, we'll be truly, truly rich. And that's why it's important for us to know the scriptures really well, just as St. Paul did. We need to marinate in the scriptures because we'll just be able to imbibe the, the wisdom and knowledge of God and then we'll be able to apply it in our everyday life. And most people don't have this. They don't have a clue about this stuff. So it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful blessing. But when Paul sits back and looks at the way that God has arranged world events and how he's brought the Gentiles into the church, all the stuff that we've been talking about and how in reaching the Gentiles, you're really reaching the lost tribes of Israel as well because they've been intermingled with the nations. So this is how, in the end, all Israel will be saved when everybody is brought into the church and accepts Jesus Messiah for all people. So this is just astounding to Paul the way that God is the ultimate chess master. There's no human move. There's no human uh, choice that anybody can make with free will, as evil as it might be, that can derail God's ultimate plan. He's always able to uh, outfox the evil one and make everything work for his glory. So, So that's the first point, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. And then the second thing he says in verse 33 is, God's judgments are unsearchable. They're unsearchable. They're so deep. He's got knowledge that we don't have. And um, sometimes we think we can do better than God. Sometimes we think that we could we could make better choices than him. We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, if I were God, I would have done it this way in my life. Well, thank God you're not. Thank God I'm not. How unsearchable his judgments. And then the third thing is his paths are beyond tracing out. His paths are beyond tracing out. Or as it says in the revised standard version here how unsearchable are his judgments how inscrutable his ways how inscrutable his ways sometimes it's really 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 hard to see the plan of god in our lives and how how it's all going to work out um and we can't figure it out sometimes in this world or, or at least maybe not when we're when we're in the middle of it uh, one of my uh favorite movies over the last few years is a movie that was uh, um, directed by Roland Jaffe, who did The Killing Fields years ago. Uh, he did a, a film called There Be Dragons, which in large part uh, covers the, the early history of Opus Dei and St. Jose Maria Escrivá in the midst of the Spanish Civil War, which a lot of people don't know too much about. But there, there's a scene in in the movie in which an old lady is sort of putting together, she's sewing a tapestry. And if you've ever seen a tapestry, you know that if you look at the backside of it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. All you see these knots and all these, these, these threads and, and it, 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 you can't see the full picture, but when you turn it over, when it's all finished, you see a beautiful image. And it's a little bit like that with our lives. We, we can't really see how the individual threads of, of every day and everything that happens to us and everything that we do, how it works into God's ultimate plan. But at the end, when it's all finished, we'll be able to look back. And sometimes we even have the grace of being able to do that within our lives, to look back and say about things that happened maybe two, three, four, ten years ago and say, man, I didn't understand this at the time, but it's amazing how God really worked this out, how God really worked it out for 
not only the good of the world and everybody else and his plan, but it was also for my good as well. And it, and it can sometimes only be seen from the other side. And there are certain things that we will only see uh, in eternity, but we do have to trust him. We do have to trust Jesus and his plan. This is what divine mercy is all about. Jesus, I trust in you. So those are, those are the three things that we need to understand about the riches, the wisdom, the knowledge of God, his judgments are unsearchable, his paths are beyond tracing it, tracing out. But let's let's now look at the next couple of verses here, Romans 11, verses 34 and 35. Paul writes, who has known, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? And it's so beautiful about this too, by the way, is that um, when Paul was talking about God's judgments, his, his, his judgments are, insert, are unsearchable. He's not just talking about the final judgment. He's talking about the way that God sort of puts the world together, his executive decisions, as one writer puts it. He makes sovereign choices, how things are going to go in the world. And his judgments are always very, very wise, and they, they direct uh, salvation history in such a beautiful way. And now we have in these couple of verses here, verses 34 and 35, again, Paul marinating in the Old Testament, an, another great reason to, to read our Bibles, just like Paul did. And he, he's able to kind of recall these verses and, and apply them to this present situation that he's talking about. So he's quoting really the Old Testament. He's really quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. And he's also probably quoting from the book of Job, chapter 41, verse 3. So Paul really understands the wisdom tradition of the Old Testament, though I would say the book of Job is a wisdom book, ultimately. But there's also the book of Proverbs. There's books like the Wisdom of Solomon. And it, it just the more we get in touch with God's wisdom and how familiar we are with, with that, the easier it'll be for us to see his wisdom in our personal lives. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio I'm your host, K.O. Clark. So these quotes that he gives, these three quotes from the Old Testament, kind of sandwiched together here. He says three things that kind of, it's a really nice reversal. They correspond to the things that he was talking about in verse 33. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Well, that corresponds to knowledge. He says, oh, the depths of the knowledge of God. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Really, the answer to all these questions is nobody. They're rhetorical questions. Only God knows these things. Who has been his counselor? His counselor. Who has the wisdom to direct you? Um, this is why he says, Oh, the depths of the wisdom of God, the riches of his wisdom. Who has been his counselor? Who who can give God any wisdom? Who can tell God what to do? Well, I'll tell you somebody who, who tells God what to do. It's you and me. It's you and me. Sometimes we do this in our prayers. We, we, we love to tell God how we think things should go. We always have to say, thy will be done. It's fine to make your requests, absolutely, but understand that God's will must prevail here. God, God, thy will be done. Peter did that as well. And this is why Peter, another reason why he's most people's favorite apostle, because we do a lot of the foolish things that, that he did, don't we? He was always trying to tell Jesus what to do. No, you will never go to the cross. This must never happen to you. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking the thoughts of human beings, or sorry, you're not thinking the thoughts of God. You're thinking the thoughts of human beings. You're thinking in a, in a way that's in opposition to God. And that's what the word Satan means, by the way. The, the, it doesn't just mean the, the, the chief of the fallen angels. It, it means opponent. 
the word means opponent. Yeah, he's God's opponent, but every time we sin, every time we aren't thinking God's thoughts, we're not acting in God's ways, we're kind of opposing God's plan too. And that's kind of what he was saying to Peter. He wasn't saying you are a devil or anything like that. He was just saying you're kind of in opposition to me, and you don't want to be in that place because that that's really what the devil and his angels are all about. You don't want to do that. Then later on, of course, at the Last Supper, the foot washing, oh, Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Yeah, the other guys will let you do it. I'll never let you do it. And then Jesus says, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have nothing to do with me. You have no part with me. You're done. It's over. Well, that give me a whole bath, then. It just hose me down completely then. So he, he always does come back to Jesus, but we have to be really, really careful about that in our lives. We can't be the counselor of God. His wisdom is ultimate. We need, we need to seek direction from wise and holy people. That's what spiritual direction is all about. But we, we can't instruct him and, and tell him what to do. He, he's got the ultimate plan, and, and it's the best plan. And then the other thing here is, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? And then uh, corresponds to the, the riches, this idea of giving to God that God might repay you. Oh, the depths of the riches of God. Well, this is the riches of his grace. He is rich in mercy. Dives in misericordia. He is rich in mercy. And we don't, we, we can never say to God, God, you owe me one because I, I was holy this day. I did the right thing. Um, I've been a good boy. no. You can't say that to God. You can't say, you owe me one, Lord. We owe him everything. We can't, he's given us everything. And, and, and he doesn't need anything from us. He, we do offer our lives back to him. But it's very much like C.S. Lewis said in one of his books, it's sixpence none the richer. And there's a popular band that, uh, that took that name, sixpence none the richer. It's kind of like a dad who gives, uh, and he's working in the British system, of course. He gives his son, his child, sixpence. And then the son goes out and buys the dad a gift. Well, it ultimately all came from the dad. But but the point of it is that the son has to make that choice to, to give. And, and so God gives everything to us. So these are obviously theoretical questions that, that Paul is asking here. Nobody has known the mind of the Lord. God reveals it to us. No one's been his counselor. No one can tell God what to do. He's totally free. And, and God's grace, it's, it's all a gift to us. It's totally gratuitous. So this is a big, big theme here, the grace of God in Romans. And then this last little verse here in this section, verse 36, Paul says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. From him, and so really saying God is the source of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. All things are through him. He's, he's the one that keeps it going, keeps the world in balance. And to, to him are all things. He's the goal. He is the goal absolutely of everything. And some people have said, well, you know, really what St. Paul is doing here is he's kind of using Stoic philosophy here because this is how the Stoics used to talk about um, this idea of... Uh, you know, he's the sustainer, he's the source. Think about Marcus Aurelius, who was the uh, the Roman emperor, uh, Stoic philosopher, really famous. He, he wrote his famous Meditations. Now, maybe you haven't read it, but you've probably seen the movie Gladiator. Marcus Aurelius is in Gladiator. It's very similar to something Marcus Aurelius, the Stoic, said. Because in his Meditations, he said, from you, and he's talking about God, from you are all things, in you are all things, for you are all things. That sounds an awful lot like what St. Paul said. 
for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So is Paul a, a, you know, a pagan philosopher? No. He's a Catholic Christian, but he's able to take truth. See, all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. If something is true, it, be- it belongs to God because God is the truth. And there are elements of truth that can be found in philosophy. There's, there's a lot of truth. And, and in fact, this is, a, this is what philosophy is. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. And, and Christ is wisdom incarnate. Think about JP2's great encyclical letter, Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason. He says you need both wings to fly. So the philosophers are not necessarily opposed to God. They're looking for truth. And so Paul was really, really good at taking things in the world. And he was, he was in the middle of the Roman world. He, he, he was smack dab. Even though he was a trained rabbi, he grew up in Tarsus, a very cosmopolitan city in the empire. Um, God prepared Paul to reach the Gentiles as well as his fellow Jews. He, he knew the way that they thought. When you, when you go to Athens as he did, he was able to converse with the philosophers. So at any rate... It's a great example how he contextualizes the gospel for his Roman audience. You and I need to do that as well. We need to not only know backwards and forwards the message of our faith in the scriptures, we need to know our friends and the way that they think and the things that are influencing them so that we can kind of bridge the gap. Kind of like that, that magical when a Venn diagram, those two circles overlap, that's where the magic happens. How the faith touches our everyday life and is the answer to people's problems. So I just really love this little section here, this word of glory that Paul has at the end of chapter 11. He just kind of sits back, stands back and says, wow, God's plan is absolutely amazing. Not only in the macro, the universe, but also in the micro, our own individual lives and how the tapestry of how he weaves it all together. This is truly, truly phenomenal. And this sets us up very, very nicely for what's going to happen. So for your homework, not that I'll be checking it, but why not start reading Romans chapter 12? He's got to get really, really practical now because now he's sort of done his theological presentation, but now he's going to start answering the so what question. How does all of this stuff that he's been talking about through chapters 1 through 11, how does this impact our day-to-day lives? He's going to get super, super practical. And, And theology is practical, like I said off the top. Theology transforms our lives because when we live out that theology, man, that, that's, where, that's where God really accomplishes his plans, his purposes in our lives and helps to fashion us into saints in the nitty gritty of everyday life. Not in some theoretical world, uh, in a, someplace far off in Never Never Land, in our actual day-to-day lives on planet Earth with all the messiness that that entails. So this is super, super exciting stuff, and this is it just keeps getting better and better as we're going through St. Paul's letter to the Romans. So we'll check out the rest of it starting in the next episode, but right now it's time to open up once again our Faith Explained Q&A mailbag. Let's see what the question is for today. You can, by the way, get your question to me by sending me an email, and the address is faith at relevantradio.com, F-A-I-T-H at relevantradio. Com. You can also find me on the X app. My handle is at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E Clark with an E. And uh, this message, uh, this question comes to me via email from Brenda listening in Phoenix, Arizona on Relevant Radio 102.9 FM, one of our great FM stations in the United States. And here's her question. Uh, she writes, 
okay, well, my husband was baptized as an Episcopalian, and I was baptized Lutheran. We were married at Stadium Vineyard Christian Fellowship. We've told our story many times before receiving the Catholic sacraments. Ten years later, we are now seeking the sacrament of marriage. Our priest continues to give us communion. Our friends who know us are confused. Why do we have to take all these premarital classes? Catholics who do not know us well respond with, You evil, full of sin sinners. <laughs> Why are Catholics so mean saying we are living in sin? Thank you, signed Brenda. Okay, Brenda, I, I have to tell you, I, I want you to write me a follow-up email here because I'm a little confused by this email as well. Uh, there's a lot of information that I'm missing here. Now, you, you said that your husband was baptized as an Episcopalian. Now, for those that don't know, the Episcopalian communion is what they call the Anglican communion, or the Anglican church is not really a church because they don't have valid sacraments, but you know what I'm talking about. And that's what the Anglican church is called in the United States, the Episcopalian church. And uh, Brenda says that she was baptized as a Lutheran. So if they're both valid baptisms here, then we have actually a valid sacramental marriage already, even before you guys came into the Catholic Church. So I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit confused here. This is how somebody becomes a Christian, by the way. It's through baptism. It's not by simply believing something about Jesus, right? In the letter of James, it talks about even the demons knowing who Jesus really is, and they shudder. They're scared. I mean, they know who he is, and they know the power he's got. But they're still demons. They're not, they're not good angels because they've rejected him. And so it's not just believing in Christ. It's being baptized. That's how you actually formally enter the church. Those who believe but are not yet baptized, we call them catechumens. They're in the catechumenate. Some of them might be in the RCIA program, which is kind of the modern version of that. So if, uh, if a couple is coming into the Catholic Church from a Protestant background, and they're both validly baptized, that is, they're baptized with water and in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and they are married, we're presuming that that's a valid baptism and a valid sacramental marriage, because a sacramental marriage is between two baptized persons. There can also be valid natural marriages as well. So we'll get into that in, in just a second. So here, here's some, some things that you need to know about this, if you're listening, just uh, in general. Marriages between non-Catholics. So, for example, there might be um, uh, a Jewish couple that, that are married um, or, or a Muslim couple that are married or, uh, you know, even even. Uh, someone from another religion that, 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 that these people are married, the husband and wife, and they, they want to become Catholic. We, we, even though it's, they're not baptized, we do assume that they are valid natural marriages. Okay. So that's different from a sacramental marriages from sacramental marriage, because that only can exist again between a baptized man and a baptized woman. So as long as there's no impediment to the marriage, as, as, as in they're actually married to somebody else, they married somebody else validly first and they didn't tell you about that, uh, well, that's a problem. We're assuming that you know, you're know you not too close in relations or something like that. We're assuming that, that these marriages are valid when these people come into the Catholic Church. Now that's a different situation from 
when a spouse is Catholic and the other and the other spouse is not Catholic. That's that's a different situation. That's called a mixed marriage. But we're not going to talk about that right now. That gets that gets us down a a, a bit of a rabbit hole there. But I, I'm confused, Brenda, about a couple things in your question. I don't. The question I have is: Were you formally received into the Catholic Church, you and your husband? Because you said that you've been receiving the Catholic sacraments, and you also said our priest continues to give us communion. And if that's the case, if you've been formally received already into the Catholic Church, let's say at the Easter Vigil one time then you're Catholic, and there's no problem with you receiving sacraments like the Eucharist, assuming you're well disposed to receive them. You're in a state of grace. Uh, and if you're not in a state of grace, you need the sacrament of confession, right? But but if you're, if you're not yet Catholic, then the priest should not be giving you the Eucharist until you formally enter the Catholic Church. So I'm a little bit confused because I don't have all the information, Brenda. So again, you can, you can write me back. You can email me back with the rest. You also say that you're taking premarital classes. And I'm not quite sure why that is. So sometimes uh, if, if a non-Catholic couple who have a valid marriage, uh, supernatural or natural, they're, they're coming into the Catholic Church, they're, it, it, when they're baptized, they're, their marriage is, is sort of supernaturalized in a certain sense. But sometimes maybe people don't get the, the training in marriage that they ought to have. They, they didn't get enough preparation for marriage. So sometimes the priest will ask them to maybe take some classes on what the sacrament of marriage is all about. So that could be what's going on with you. Um, but I'm also kind of wondering because you, you say that some Catholics who don't know you well are saying you evil, full of sin, sinners to you. And they're also saying that you're living in sin. Well, like I said, if your marriage is valid, Sacramental, sacramentally or naturally, you're not living in sin. So I, I don't know why they would say that. So I think, I think I'm missing some information about this. Now, in terms of these uh, Catholics that you know who are saying these things to you, I, I would say to them, uh, I don't know if that's the approach, if you want to get people on your side saying you evil, full of sin, sinners. Now, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Um, John the Baptist, of course, that's that's essentially what he said to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come. It's almost like he wants the hammer to be dropped on him in a certain sense. That's what it seems like. But no, it's it's strong medicine. Of course, he wants them to be saved as well. And, and telling people the truth, sometimes uh, in a way that kind of grabs their attention, that does get certain people to repent, for sure. Everybody's different. Everybody has a key that unlocks their heart. And sometimes it's not the gentle turning of the key to open the door. Sometimes it's kicking the door down, like like John the Baptist. Oh, you evil, full of sin, sinner. Oh, that might actually work with some people as a cold approach. Some people need a, a bit more of a pat on the back than a kick in the pants. But I, I would s simply say this, uh, Brenda, write me back. Tell me some more information about your situation, and then maybe I can answer your question a little bit better. But I hope that what I did say was helpful information for you about how the church looks at marriages of those who are coming into the church and for those listening, hopefully that was enlightening to you. And, and anybody else listening today can write in to me as well. The email address is faith at relevantradio.com. I'll try to answer your question as best I can. Find me on the X app at K.L. Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And I'll see you in the next episode of The Faith Explained. You can also catch me every day, 5 p.m. Central, right here on Relevant Radio, The K.L. Clark Show. God bless you. Talk to you soon. 
The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Perhaps you have a God topic question, or if it's a Bible question, could be just about anything. Call me. At the intersection of faith and culture, The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio.